Minnesota Twins are going to retire Jim Cott's number. Gentlemen, I think they should do it in Jim Cott fashion and do it really fast. Like run out there, you know, retire the number and have everybody run back to the dugout just the way Jim would want it. You know, um, he's probably pitched games faster than the ceremony to retire his number will take that day. Was it July 16th, something like that? No doubt about it. (laughs) So – this is Chin Music. This is part of the TalkNorth.com podcast network. We're doing it remotely this week, uh, so you might hear a few gaps as we wait for each other to speak. That's just the world we live in right now. But we will be back live with you, hopefully, 6 p.m. Tuesday, January 18th at Pizza Luce in Eden Prairie at 6 o'clock, Tuesday, January 18th at Pizza Luce in Eden Prairie. Come out, have some pizza, have a drink, enjoy the show. Roy might bring his bat and uh, do another hitting demonstration. It's a lot of fun. We do appreciate Pizza Luce sponsoring the program, hosting the show, and it's great to get together with everybody, even in these difficult times. All right, gentlemen, so the uh, negotiations resumed this week between the players and the owners. They got nowhere, predictably, and we're really not very far away from spring training being pushed back and maybe spring training being pushed back far enough that it affects the regular season. What is your level of optimism that something gets done before the season is affected? Let's start with Roy. Uh, I don't have a a large degree of optimism that they're going to have a normal spring training. I mean, if, if I don't, I think they will be locked out of spring training uh, to start with that, that that's my, that's my fear. And I think is the highest probability um, and then whatever that does to the regular season, whether they speed up, you know, truncate spring training a little bit or, or whether they just start the season late and negotiate some kind of doubleheader schedule or, you know, I don't know. But I, at this point, it, it just seems so ludicrous to me, you know, so counterproductive to have started this already. Uh, I don't see it. I'm just based on maybe things are different now. When, if this had happened uh, in the 13 years that I was in the big leagues or, and it did by the way, uh, or, uh, you know, for the next five or 10 years after I retired, there's no way spring training starts on time. So, you know, maybe I'm just being overly influenced by my personal experience. Maybe it's different now, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it to me. Yeah. I'm not optimistic right now. Um, just because of, of the what we've heard about the differences in what the players want and what the owners are willing to give up. Um, I mean, the players want one less year of arbitration and they want to be a, become a free agent one year earlier. You know, that's a monumental jump. I'm, I'm guessing you know, the owners are are uh, are thinking um, the minimum salary should go up. I agree with that. I, I wouldn't mind seeing it go up to eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, and they, they want some other things too in terms of revenue because they're butthurt over the last negotiation. So um, it's disappointing that there hasn't been more frequency of, uh, of talks here. Um, and and we're at a weird spot now because uh, you guys know, like right now, pitchers are throwing. I mean, pitchers are starting their their um, progression to being ready for spring training. And uh, But they don't know at what effort level they should be at right now because they don't know what the, what the time the first workout is scheduled for, and if they are they working on a early April uh, opener, are they working on a mid April opener or a late April opener? No one knows. So um, the whole the whole baseball uh, the whole baseball world is stopped spinning right now, waiting for the millionaires to bicker with the billionaires and, and find a find a solution here. And uh, 
you know, everybody loses in the end. The players lose. Minnesotans lose in particular because I think a lot of Minnesotans try to flee this area during the winter to get down to Fort Myers and watch some games and, and work on their tan, but he can't do that either. Um, Star Tribune loses because we don't even have a place to stay during a spring training gym. Uh, we usually run a house every year, but we're we're on hold until we find out um, when we can go down to, to, to cover some camp. So uh, it stinks right now. But you're America's guest, Lavelle. I mean, somebody will take you in. <laughs> Nobody's going to take me in. So it's really a me problem, not a you problem. So um, so eight or $900,000 minimum salary. Uh, may I tell my first paycheck in the big league story? Yes, Uh-oh. please. <laughs> so it's uh, 1975, and I get called up uh, to uh, the Texas Rangers, and I'm going to get paid at the, the rate of the major league minimum, uh, which at that year was $16,000 a year. And I'm 22 years old, and I played there. I played for two weeks, and I got a paycheck. Prorated out, uh, you know, by the however many weeks that is, twenty four weeks of the of the season. So I got uh, so I got a uh, one twelfth uh, of uh, uh, of the the uh, the rate for the for the, uh, the season. And I'll never forget opening up my paycheck and looking at it, and it said. Uh, and, and I got paid after tax $832.16. <laughs> and I had two thoughts. I remember, I mean, I had achieved my goal, get the, my first goal of getting to the big legs. I'd been there two weeks. I'm 22 years old. I'm single. Uh, I've already got my apartment paid for in Texas for that month. And I get this, I get this check. And it's $832.16. So I had two thoughts. My first thought was, what am I going to do with all this money? Yep. <laughs> and my second thought was, holy shit, in two weeks I get another one. It's amazing. <laughs> it's America, baby. <laughs> well, so your first fantastic. paycheck was when gas was still like 45 cents a gallon, though, right? Hey, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Back, if we reverse back um, inflation, uh, inflation of today, uh, it was uh, it was it was still not a lot of money. It wasn't. Uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't. It wasn't eight or nine hundred thousand. Let me let me just tell you. Let me just tell you that. You, I don't. I don't care what inflation has been. It ain't. It ain't that much. Minds me of my first job in the profession. I was working at the Fort Star Telegram, basically typing in box scores. I was making $6 an hour, no benefits. And I couldn't wait for the paper paycheck to come out on Friday afternoon. I would grab it. I would go straight to Whataburger. And I thought I was in heaven because I could get a, I could get a Whataburger and a Coke. And that was my big meal for the week. Oh, that's hilarious. When I, my first year in, in uh, pro ball in double A, Pittsfield, Massachusetts. We when we went on the road, uh, we got uh, six dollars a day meal money, and uh, I remember my uh, one of the guys, that, my double play partner, as a matter of fact, a second baseman on the team. Uh, we went on our first road trip, and he he goes, he said, "Man, six dollars a day meal money. I led the league last year in Mama Burgers at <laughs> <A&W>. <laughs> Oh man, golly. 
so this is our baseball show at talknorth.com. Thank you for listening to the network. Uh, best way to listen, subscribe at your favorite podcast app. You can always go to talknorth.com. If you like the show, you might also like some of the other stories we tell over the over time. You can find the archives. You can check out our sponsors. You can check out all the other great sports shows. We do have the best sports lineup in Minnesota. We have tons of good outdoor content. We have variety shows, and we continue to add to the network. And we get to do all that because you listen. We do appreciate it. You're listening to Roy Smalley, former Twin Star, current Twins broadcaster. Uh, Lavelle Neal III, former Twins beat writer, now Star Tribune columnist. I'm Jim Suhan from the Star Tribune. Our producer is Brandon Morton. And uh, I recommend following us on Twitter. At Talk North Pod, you'll see all of the shows as they are released. You also get the live dates and everything else. Thanks to our sponsors, Eleven Wells Distillery, uh, Memorial Blood Center. They do really important work. Better Edge, Pizza Luce, and we'll tell you more about our sponsors here in a minute. Uh, some interesting international news, especially for me, because I got to go to Tokyo and watch the USA baseball team get silver, which it was really entertaining baseball. Tyler Austin, the former twin and former Yankee, has been basically named the Dick Case Award winner, which basically kind of their Team USA, USA Baseball Player of the Year. Also, Michael Kadire, I think a friend of all of ours, uh, the Coach Educator of the Year. I think that is such a quintessential Kadire kind of award because Kadire has always, ever since the first minute I met him, he has always been a great guy. He has always been someone who is very inclusive, who wants to help people. I think it's so cool that Kadire wins Coach Educator of the Year for USA Baseball. Lavelle, why don't you go first this time? You know, um, I mean, that, that is pure cutty. And I saw that announcement and I was like, of course he won, you know, because um, he's always been incredibly knowledgeable about the game and able to articulate the game. And always had interest in, in, in teaching the game to, to younger players. Um, and the thing about Kadire is that um, he 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 has a way, he understands how the game should be played, and he makes that point when he's dealing with with other players. Um, I remember having a conversation with him during one spring training when he was coming down as a special instructor, and he was telling me how much he, he dislikes these these showcase. Uh, tournaments where teams show up and all these top players show up. And it's all about trying to hit 450 foot home runs or max delivery, throwing, you know, as hard as you can in the upper nineties, um, showing how flashy you are defensively. He's about, they're not playing baseball. You know, they're just showing off with skills. They're not, you're, they're not trying to win games. They're not trying to make winning plays. They're not trying to move runners over. They're not trying to, you know, hit the cutoff, man. They're trying to show off how big of an arm they have, you know, and so he he's a, he's a protector of the fundamentals of the sport, and I think he will be a good influence on younger players coming up. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add uh, to that because it's it's all true in my uh, in my experience uh, with uh, Michael, uh, very thoughtful, uh, very intelligent baseball player, high baseball IQ, always interested in learning more about it, trying to figure it out, uh, and uh, very thoughtful about uh, the way he approached uh, all of his. Um, uh, baseball education and, and intelligence. Uh, terrific guy to everybody. I, I mean, it, my my impression was always that in just kind of watching from, you know, I won't say afar because I've, I've, I've been, a, you know, around, but I, you know, I'm not, not uh, best friends with any of the guys in the club, but just, just, you know, hanging around and talking to guys and, and watching from, uh, you know, a few feet removed. I, it just, it, I, I think what you see with Cuddy is what, is what you get, and I think it's always been that way, and and uh, and probably 
uh, most assuredly, uh, it always will be that way. And Kadir was always great to me. He was great to everybody. That was the cool thing about Michael. Uh, I did have a, a favorite, my, and he probably wouldn't want me to share this, but I will anyway. Uh, I was standing in the dugout talking to Kadir one day, and Slowey came by, and Slowey, like, and apparently they had had some kind of a disagreement over some analytics based idea. Uh, and, you know, Slowey was the kind, Slowey was the guy who not only wanted to, um, Talk about analytics. He wanted you to know he he was smarter than you were, and he walked by and he he like snipped at Kadir, like gave him kind of some shot, like okay, you know I'm really going to win this argument. And Kadir basically just told him to shut up and go away. And that, that's my, you know, I already loved Kadir, but that really made him a hero to me. Anybody <laughs> who tells Kevin Slowey to shut up is just rises up my list. Yeah, I think there was a long list of people who wanted to say that to Slowey through the years. And we won't make we won't make Roy a comment on that, but uh, that was one of my favorite Kadir moments. Uh, John but, Lester, but, but, hey, but so, you know, you know, Jim, you got to be careful about that because Slowy is working for the Players Association right now. Oh, I know, <laughs> I know, but there are some some bridges you burn and you do not want to rebuild them. And uh, I, no, I I, they, I will I will comment on that. It's it, uh, in a clubhouse on a team, there are oftentimes guys that are like what you described uh, with Slowey and or other forms of um, annoyance, uh, uh, personality uh, characteristics and, and, and uh, things that, that they say and all that. And in every good uh, locker room and every good clubhouse that ends up having good chemistry, there is a veteran or two that tells people that, that tells those people to sh shut the f up, and um, if they don't, then you end up having a bad clubhouse, and that's why it's so important. You know that the veteran leadership is, you know, is is so important in, in that way. Um, I've been on you know a couple of teams with Don Baylor, uh, for example. Baylor would take no, it would take none of that. Um, also, in on the '87 team. That Donnie actually, you know, came and joined us for the month of uh, September in the in the postseason. Thank goodness. Uh, but it, before that, the whole personality of the club was uh, anti uh, anti smugness and uh, personal ego and all that kind of stuff. And and there's plenty of all of that that goes on. And every everybody has a little bit in them. And it, but if it comes out. If it came out in any way, there was somebody, whether it was Herbie or Puck or Gaetti or Bert or me, or I mean, it was a sarcastic clubhouse and and it and the the sarcasm and the and the and the ribbing was and in the old the old expression is it was on the square, right? Yeah, kidding on the square, meaning, you know, it's hitting really I'm teasing, but it's hitting real close to home. And that's the way that that kind of stuff was taken care of on uh and is taken care of on on most teams, but with with our team, it wasn't anybody specifically too often having to go to someone and say, "Hey, you know, cut it out." It was public. It was public sarcastic denouncement in front, of, in some in some humorous way in front of everybody, and that 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 tends to police itself. And I still remember stories about Carl Willis, uh, who really. Uh, good guy and a big contributor to the 91 team still remember stories that, you know, they named him big train because they thought he was getting a, they was doing too many interviews or tooting his own horn too much. And all of a sudden he's big train for life. Yeah. 
Yeah, that will uh, that that will happen. I mean, if you end up, you know, the guys end up wearing uh, the shoes that fit oftentimes. All right, we have a lot to get to. I know it seems like there's not much going on in baseball, but on this show, we always have things to talk about. We can always tell stories, and we will get to current events, and there's some current events I want to get to. But first, we want to thank Eleven Wells Distillery. Lavelle, tell us about Eleven Wells Distillery. Well, you guys know I've always been a big fan of the uh, Minnesota 13 uh, whiskey, which is just absolute, absolute delicious um, uh, uh thing to sip on and they make a great old fashioned with it at uh, 11 wells for 10 bucks but they also have seasonal cocktails as well and i was eyeballing this and i gotta try it the next time i go there they got a drink called the galaxy far far away and uh it's it's not as cold as it's been uh, a week ago it's still you know in the, around 20 degrees right now it was much colder last week but this drink has hot apple cider wheat whiskey allspice liqueur and ginger liqueur and i was like i gotta get i gotta get some of that in me uh, so, uh, and I will, uh, recommend it to you folks as well, because it sounds like the perfect drink to help get you through the winter time. Uh, and that's just one of several drinks that 11 Wells distillery has to offer located just, uh, just east of downtown St. Paul, um, in the old Ham's brewery, uh, location. It's a must visit on the weekends and, uh, it's a great place to hang out and bring some friends and sit down and have a nice conversation. 11 Wells spirits. It is a cool space. We also want to thank Memorial Blood Centers doing very important work. Ever know someone who's needed blood? What about someone who's needed blood once, twice, or even three times a month? For hospital patients who need regular blood transfusions, like some with sickle cell disease, having a blood donor who has similar blood characteristics is critical. That's why we need your generous folks from our local Black community to step up and give blood with Memorial Blood Centers. Learn more or schedule an appointment by calling one 888 448-3253 or by visiting the website mbc.org that's mbc.org we would also like to thank better edge great place to place your sports bets and this is a great time of the year to bet on sports with the nfl playoffs going on combine your love for competition social and sports with better edge the sports betting exchange that actually gives back to its betters Better Edge is a brand new locally based betting platform meant to connect users and attempt to add some coin to the bank. Completely legal and 100% fun, compete against friends, sports insiders, and yourself with Better Edge in a number of different sports and event competitions. In fact, you can follow me. My username is Sonny Everett on this platform to see what my picks are. Use code CHIN for a free $10 when you sign up by visiting betteredge.com. That's B E T. T-O-R-Edge.com. Last sponsor note, reminder, January 18th, 6 p.m., Tuesday night, Pizza Luce, Eden Prairie. Come out, join us, have a drink. Uh, we'd love to see you. We'd love to chat with you. All right, let's get to John Lester's retirement. Uh, Roy, why don't you start us off? Uh, boy, what a great uh, pitcher, clutch pitcher, teammate he turned out to be. Yeah, he, he was all of those things and, and uh, you know, did all those things after a um, – you know, after, uh, you know, beating cancer and, and, um, you know, he, he was, uh, a, you know, a good story, a really great story when he, when he first started, uh, came back pitching for Boston after, uh, you know, going through the, you know, the cancer, uh, battle and all that kind of stuff. And the, the, the great feel good story became a man, can this guy pitch? And, and, you know, by all accounts, a great, a great teammate. You're right. He was a he was a clutch pitcher. He was tough uh, when uh, 
when you know in all in big games he was tough all the time but he 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 didn't uh he didn't lose any in, at all if if anything he he pitched even better and the, the tougher the game uh, the game was uh his whole as i watched him his his whole career um he just he, i could i watched him and said man this guy is in absolute control of what he believes he needs to do to win this this at bat against this hitter this inning of this game this stretch of innings that he's pitching in this game i mean he he was he just he just looked like and pitched like and delivered like uh he knew what the plan was and he was and he was uh he was absolutely going to uh deliver that he was he was great to watch i always looked forward to watching a game uh that john lester pitched you know um we, there's a phrase with some of these pitchers a big game pitcher and like david Cohen was like the first time i'd heard you know in in my baseball viewing and observing career was uh, he, uh, he was called the big game pitcher in the postseason, but uh, Lester was one of those too uh, for this this recent era of the game. Um, and and for except for a couple times, the deeper the team got into the playoffs, the more uh, the better Lester pitched. I think he was four and one with a one seven seven ERA in World Series. So once he got to the biggest stage, he performed the best. And there's something to be said about that. Um, the crazy, here's a crazy thing about Lester. I read, uh, about his retirement. Um, he spent nine years with the Red Sox and in those nine years, he's 110 and 63, which is a 60, 63.6% winning percentage with a three, six, four ERA. Okay. He goes to the Cubs, pitched for the Cubs for six years. And I didn't even know, I didn't know it was that long, but he went to the Cubs, pitched for six years. He was 77 and 44 which is a 63.6% winning percentage and posted a 3.64 ERA. So it was, it's rather remarkable of the run this guy had. (laughs) And not only that, I mean, he pitched in, as a left-handed pitcher, he pitched in, uh, you know, Fenway where the, you know, the opposing team loads up on right-handed hitters and aims for the wall. And he, and he, you know, he did, as you say, Lavelle, that kind of success in that ballpark. And then he went to a bandbox uh, in Wrigley and and did it again. So I mean, it's just another example. But I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a Gene Mock story about big game pitchers, uh, and this is kind of in reverse, but you'll get the point. Someone uh, asked Gene one time, you know, why Reggie, you know, he had become Reggie Jackson had become Mister October, and you know was seemed to rise to the occasion. Um, when, um, you know, when the ga- the games were the biggest and it, the stage was uh, was the biggest. And uh, Gene had, uh, you know, had Reggie uh, in uh, it, uh, in Anaheim with the Angels uh, and, and got to know him really and just and really, really liked him. And uh, someone asked Gene, why is it that that Reggie elevates his is able to how can you elevate his game like that and on the biggest stages? And uh, Gene said, Reggie's strength is not elevating his game. He doesn't elevate his game. Reggie is Reggie. He just he just doesn't go uh, backwards. He said he lets the pitcher wilt under the <laughs> and and become less of a pitcher because of the because of the big stage. And Reggie, as normal Reggie, will will feast on somebody that is uh, not at his best. And so the flip side of that is there are pitchers that on the mound are like Reggie Jackson that. 
that do not diminish their ability to their skill, their ability to uh, to deliver what they need to do, to deliver, and they let the hitters uh, go backwards and uh, you know on the big stage. And John Lester was 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 one of those guys. And the greatest example of that in recent baseball history was probably Jeter. Jeter was a an excellent player, but what made him a great postseason player is he did exactly the same thing in the postseason against better competition that he did on your average Tuesday night against the Royals. It's really true, and when you think about why, you know, why would that be? Part of it is is personality and mental toughness, but you know, to a big part of it to go along with with that is is the whole uh, approach. And I'm just talking about hitting right now. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he also, you know, he also played, you know, his normal, uh, you know, good shortstop and all that all that kind of stuff uh, because he was just a good player. He was a good base runner and he did he knew how to do things well and so he just did those things. But it, from a hitting standpoint, how, why was he able to do so well in in big games against the tough pitchers and all that? And it's because his normal approach was not trying to do too much. He was he might hit the ball in the ballpark to left field, but the reason he did that was because he got a hang and breaking ball. He was looking to hit a fastball to the opposite gap, and someone hung a breaking ball, and, and because he wasn't jumping out trying to hit it to left field, just the natural reaction speeded up his bat, and he, he, he hit a home run to left field. But for the most part, against the tough pitchers, his whole approach was – you know, I'm not going to worry about fastballs inside. I'm going to get a ball out over the plate, and I'm going to get the barrel of the bat to it, hit it somewhere uh, on the field. And so, th- therefore, the, you know, the better pitchers who are trying to hit the outside corner or trying to paint the inside corner or cut, throwing up in the zone or whatever, he just took all that stuff and, and because his whole approach, what he does every day, is I'm going to get a ball in the middle of the plate, out over the plate somewhere, and I'm going to hit it. I'm going to get the barrel on it. That's all. And when you you're able, when your normal approach is to simplify things, to eliminate, you know, it's kind of like a golfer who all of a sudden you know doesn't hit the ball out of bounds anymore. I mean, it, it, if you if you simplify things as your normal course of events, then when the going gets tough, it doesn't get any more complicated, and you have a, you have a better chance of, of success. You know. Um, so the uh, you, the, the weird thing is um, the first time I ever heard about Orhe Polanco was because of John Lester. Um, I was talking to um, to Jake Maurer um, years ago, and this was like Polanco's first visit to Fort Myers after you know signing out of uh, the Dominican Republic. And he was like in some, um, sp- some minor league spring training game on one of those backfields at Fort Myers. And John Lester was working his way back uh, from from injury, and here's Lester pitching to minor leaguers, and Jake was telling me this story about it because uh, you know when Polanco first signed with the Twins, he had he was homesick, he wasn't comfortable, he was trying to get used to a new country, new culture, you know, away from his his folks for the first time, and it wasn't easy for him. Uh, but he, he but then Polanco gets in the box against Lester and like rockets a double to the opposite field, and that was Jake Maher was like that's when I that was the first sign that uh, Polanco was going to be a player. And it was because he nailed line one off of Lester in some spring training game. And Roy, I think I remember you saying almost the same thing first time Polanco came to the big leagues. I don't know if it was in Texas or someplace, but you know, here's, yep. a, here's a kid. Who, and I mean, he had a very similar at bat as he was starting his career. 
he walked up his first at bat. They called him all the way up from from a ball because That's they correct. they had a uh, they had an issue in the middle in the middle infield. I can't remember. It, it seems to me like it was at shortstop, and I can't remember who got hurt and who somebody else was. I don't know some, something. They, they called him up from a ball, put him right in the lineup, and down in Texas, I was doing the game uh, on, on TV and and. Um, I had heard about him, and I and uh, I thought, well, I'm, I actually said, I'm anxious to see this young guy, and you know, I mean, it's it's a lot to ask of a guy, you know, coming out of a ball to come up here, and he walks up there, and I think it was the first pitch he saw. It was early in the, in the bat, and I, but I think it was the first pitch. He just he just whistled a line drive down the right field line, hitting left handed uh, for a triple, and and it was like. Holy cow! <laughs> it was it, it was kind of like what you're saying uh, about um, about Jeter, Jim. It's, it's uh, it just you know what? It's not a ball in the big leagues. It's a fastball, middle middle. I know what to do with that. This is what I do <laughs> with a with a fastball, middle middle. And it was like there was no doubt in his. There was no tentative. There was no doubt in his mind. I want to see what he can do, being fully healthy. For an entire season. And it yeah, might be unrealistic. Sure. I know players all get banged up, but it feels like when we see him struggling, it's almost always his foot or his ankle. And you can tell by the way he's swinging, he can't fully support his weight and he kind of just manages. I would love to see him with a solid foundation with his legs healthy. Uh, just see what would happen over a full season. Well, that second half of last year, it looks like he was on almost any everything thrown to yeah. him. And uh, if he could do that for a, for an entire season, um, he could put up some really nice numbers for a shortstop. Or I'm sorry, second baseman. I want him to be a shortstop next year, uh, but he's probably going to be second baseman. And he very I well wanted, might end I up being the stay, shortstop. I want to wanted to stay right where he is and just. I mean, I, I was thinking about him the other day. Um, at second base, he doesn't have one defensive thing to worry about. He can. He can play. He can play adequate, you know, better than anybody else that they would have at second base in his sleep. And if he wants to work at it a bit, he could be a Gold Glove caliber uh, second baseman. And he can do that without it putting any stress on him from the offensive standpoint. And and we saw what he can he can do in a situation like that uh, second half of last year when he finally got when he finally got healthy. And and I I just. It, it, I, I'm this, I feel the same way. Well, I'm sure we all feel the same way. Just give us at least one year of, you know, semi-total health. Let's just uh, let's just see what he can do because he 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 really never has uh, has had that. And and um, he had a, he had a second half of health last year, and he and he destroyed the world. So the other thing he's doing, he's getting smarter. I noticed this last year. I'm, um, he hit all different kind of pitches out. You know, hitting the thirty whatever home runs he hit. Um, they weren't just fastballs, middle, middle. He had all kinds of different pitches. And, and I, I watched him for a while and, and, and thought, yep, he's looking for pitches now. For the first time, he's not just trusting his, his talent to adjust, look for a fastball and adjust to everything else. He's figuring out how pitchers are trying to get him out or what pitches he's likely to see for strikes the most. And he's sitting on that pitch and he's killing it when he's, when he gets in it. That's that's where the that's the, where the big the big leap comes when you've got that kind of talent and you've had some success and you know you can hit and then you get to being smart about and and 
and patient enough and and strong enough mentally to say I might get a fastball, you know, down the middle, but that that will be a mistake. He's not trying to do that. What he's going to do is try to get me out with curveballs or whatever. And so I'm looking for that because he did that for this, you know, second half of the season, and that's that's a, a big part of why he was so good. And, and neither he nor Rudy um, Hernandez or will will um, will admit that he's doing that, but. He's doing that. I, I know he is. I, I just watch his body tempo. I watch how he swings at breaking balls. And, and he, is, uh, he is becoming adept at looking for pitches and hitting them when he gets them. Good stuff. Uh, we have a lot of topics we aren't going to get to today. I'm going to save them for Tuesday night. We basically do a, a close to an hour at Pizza Luce. Uh, and a lot of interesting stuff about the negotiations, about speeding up games, about having a woman manager in the uh, Yankees farm system that we're going to get to. For today, let's get a final thought from Lavelle and from Roy on anything they'd like. Reminder, we have a great lineup here at TalkNorth.com. We have Cheryl Reeve, Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, John Krasinski, Jeff Diamond, John Millay. We have the Bar Down Beauties. We have tons of great outdoor content, some other cool shows. We're going to be – oh, we just added Mike Grimm's Gopher Report. Uh, it's a great get for us. Uh, he's going to be covering all Gopher sports. Of course, the voice of the Gophers is now part of TalkNorth.com. So welcome to Mike. Uh, welcome to our newest producer, Brianne Burdett. And uh, thanks to our sales executive, Karen Cleary. All right, Lavelle, why don't you go first? Okay, I start with a question. What do Jeff Holly, Jerry Kuzman, Jeff Little, Kurt Wardle, Mark Portugal, Joe Negro, Steve Shields, Kevin Tapney, Terry Steinbach, Rick Reed, Warren Morris, Joe Nathan, Cleet Thomas, Blaine Boyer, Robbie Grossman, and Tyler Clippert all have in common. They all wore number 36. Oh. <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. And Joe Nathan as well. Yes. So I'm challenging the twins in my column on Sunday because I'm congratulating them for retiring Cott's number. But I'm challenging them to have as many former wearers of number 36 on hand as possible for the ceremony. <laughs> I like it. Especially good Nathan. Stuff. I think Nathan, Nathan probably had the best career in that in that number outside of uh, outside of, uh, of, of 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 Kitty Cot. Although you know Kuzman and and um, Necro had decent careers as well. And and Tappany was a big big part of Minnesota history as well. Yep. Exactly. What are they going to do if and when Joe Nathan make, uh, is is elected to the Hall of Fame? They got to retire gonna, his number. They'll retire thirty six point zero. Yeah, ask <laughs> for point a. Yeah, point yeah yeah point one. <laughs> Good problem to have. Those I'll tell you what, if I was one of those guys that wore number 36, I would make it a point to show up sometime at Target Field uh, when they when they post that uh, number down the left up, up uh, down the left field line. I would take a picture of it. I would take it back home and tell everybody, yeah, they retired my number. Yep. Yep. That's what I'd do. Uh, Roy, do you have a final thought for us other than that? Uh, I, my, my final thought is as I watch it, uh, out my uh, window here, uh, uh, and, and watching it snow, we're only about 11 or 12 weeks from watching the masters. Oh yes. And I think I'm going to be there again. I've been very lucky to cover that. Uh, that is the greatest assignment in sports. But here's yeah, the thing. It's though. my, it's my, it's my favorite event. If, if, and not the least of which reason is is after looking at what I'm looking at for so you know for now this it'll be almost three months by the time Masters gets here and the the beauty of that place uh, just 
makes it, it takes it takes the winter tension away from me. But here's the thing, though. This week, I, I, I always like the first two weeks of the new year because you've got the two tournaments in Hawaii. So that kind of what's your yeah. appetite for golf? Yeah, season? that's that's given me a little tease. I, I have to admit, I, I have uh, I tuned that in to watch that the, the beauty of that scenery as well. And it, but that's that's I think that's part of the reason why I was watching the snow today and having having watched a little bit of, of Hawaii. I'm just I just have the Masters on my mind today. And that's kind of what spring training is for a lot of baseball fans too. It's the symbol of spring because like I love watching the golf tournaments in Hawaii, but you know, it's the opposite of our reality. You get to late spring training, you get to the masters and you feel like even if it's a lie, you feel like spring is around the corner. That's true. Absolutely. All right, let's wrap it up there. We'll talk more on Tuesday at pizza, Luce and Eden Prairie. Thanks to everyone who listens. We'll see you there.